All right, let's turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We started last week and um, looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. If you missed that, I really encourage you to go back and listen to it. Um, It's a... It really introduces and sets up what Chris and I are going to be doing over the next several weeks. Uh, But this morning, we're looking at the whole reality of pleasure, of how we look to pleasure for ultimate meaning, something that pleasure was never uh, designed by God to give us. Um, And yet, that's where most of us live our lives. And so this morning, we're going to build a theology of pleasure, if you will. Let's see a bad theology. And we'll go from the bad theology to a good theology, a biblical theology. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, this is King Solomon. I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And, And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all of this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took great delight. In all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Lord Jesus, we are chasing everything under the sun, and we are looking to you to give us everything under the sun. And thank you that you are God and we are not. Thank you that you don't give us what we want, but you give us what you know we need. Thank you, O God, that that you deprive us of pleasure during seasons and times and maybe throughout our life because you know our hearts and you know what we would do. But Father, the race is on. And I pray this morning that you would come by your Spirit and that you would stop us in our tracks that you would expose the ways specifically each of us have been deceived, and that you would redeem creation and our hearts and minds this morning. Oh God, I cannot do that. I can't do it in my own life, much less the lives of those in this room. So Holy Spirit, would you come in power, and would you use your word to change us, that our affections might long for Jesus and we might come into contact with the things of this world and utilize them in a way that drives us deeper into Him, that increases our faith, that that gives us a greater faith, a more robust faith. For that is what You've given us the things of this world to do. So God, come free us from the slavery that we are in, but free us to be children that delight in You, our Father, by utilizing the gifts that You've given us. 
Oh God, would you change us? Would you convert us? Oh God, would you make someone alive in this room this morning that's spiritually dead? Would you do your work in our midst for the glory of Jesus Christ and for the good of your people? We pray this in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Wednesday night, I had some guys over, and I love to grill, and the, 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 the weather is changing, and it's time to get out and, and, and to light the charcoal. And so I threw some chicken wings on and some brats, and I bought a, a three-pound beef tenderloin, marinated that thing, and put it on the grill. I, I soaked uh, corn in its husk for about 30 minutes in water, and I put those on the grill. I did a little asparagus, a little okra, and we threw down. Uh, we ate, and we watched uh, the Grizz beat the Jazz, and, and we had a great night. That next morning, I woke up, and I ran along the Mississippi River. Uh, I love doing it. I love living on, on Mud Island because I can do that. And as, I, as I'm running by the river, I'm just taking it in, man, just how beautiful it is, how big it is, just the majesty of the Mississippi River. One night this week, we had a birthday for somebody in our family, and, and we threw down again, man. We celebrated with uh, these ooey-gooey hot brownies with ice cream, you know, that just kind of melts all over it when it goes on top. Friday night, the men of the church got together, and uh, we threw down again, man. We had ribs, we had uh, hamburgers, we had brats, we played foosball and pool, and we hung out. Uh, last Sunday after church, uh, Jed, my son-in-law, and uh, my other son-in-law, Nate, and I went fishing at my neighbor's farm over on the Arkansas side of the river. And we weren't catching many fish, so we came on shore and we shot skeet. You know, we, did, we just did manly stuff. And we uh, connected with each other and connected with creation. And as I look back on this week, I've got a question for you. Did I live this frivolous, God-void life? Or did that have something to do with the God that redeemed me? That's the question before us this morning. It's what is the place of pleasure in the life of the Christian? Because Solomon shows us what the place of pleasure is not in the life of the Christian. You remember, he is asking the hard questions. He is going to extremes. He's using the Socratic method, if that means anything to you. He's asking the right questions to force your hand to come to the right answers. And so he says, look, is this what life is? Should we just test our hearts with pleasure and just fill, fill our hearts with as much pleasure as we can possibly fill our hearts with? Will that sustain us? You see, that was the question in the first couple of verses of, of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. What does man gain in all of his labors at which he labors under the sun? And that question, under the sun, or, or excuse me, that phrase, under the sun, is the key to the whole book. He's talking about a life, trying to find meaning and significance of life cut off from God under the sun. Several times throughout the book, he's contrasting life above the sun with life under the sun. And he's telling us this morning, asking us this morning, can you find life in pursuing pleasure under the sun? Now, as Christians, we say no. We know that. We know the answer to that. 
But here's what we functionally do. We say that in our minds, but we don't prove that in our actions. Because what we typically do is this. We, we, we live as if, oh yeah, there's God. He's above the sun. He's up there. But this is my real life. You know, the stuff I do from the time I wake and, and, and the time I go to sleep, and even while I'm sleeping, you know, I'm on my Tempur-Pedic mattress, you know, I'm on my, my, my upscale mattress. I'm even doing the, the, getting the most pleasure out of my sleep, you know, nothing wrong with that. And yet we live this life seven days a week, six days a week. We come to church and we get up and we live and we wonder, what is the connection? I mean, how can we discern if I really had a spiritually pleasing week to God? You know, well, what should we do? Should we take the number of hours I spent in prayer or the study of His Word or in ministry and then take the hours that I spent fishing or eating or, you know, uh, running and then, you know, kind of see which way the scale... T- ah, yeah, okay, this week I did all right. Or, yeah, this week I better not do as much this next week. I mean, how are we supposed to know what the connection between my Christian life and my worldly life is all about? I think it's an important question because I think as I read through the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, most people, especially out in the world, but I think most people in the church, think that Christianity um, has this philosophy found in Ecclesiastes 7, where Solomon says it's better to go to a house of mourning than go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone. I mean, if you were to ask people out in the world, what is the church's theology of pleasure, I think that's what they would say. Man, it is doom and gloom. It is no fun. To come to Jesus means life is boring. It means life is over and hold on and wait for glory because there ain't nothing good this side of heaven, you know. I mean, it's to hear preaching that says don't have too much fun, don't, you know. So who's right? Well, let's look at it. The first thing that we've got to see to build a good theology of pleasure is pleasure. We've got to understand that pleasure cannot sustain your heart. He says, come now. He says, I said to my heart, come now. Let me test you with pleasure. Let me see if pleasure can sustain you. For the last few years, I've been studying the music that came out of um, really the, the time of slavery in our country. I've been looking at the music of those that were enslaved and oppressed, the African Americans that were brought over here to work and to make money for their owners. And what's been fascinating to me, because as you look at that life and you look at the circumstances and you look at the, the injustice and the suffering, you say, man, that just had to be a crushed people. And yet, if you look at the art form that they produced during that time, you don't see despair. (laughs) You see reality, but you see hope. You see a theology that goes beyond this world, deprived of all pleasure, deprived of all entertainment, if you will. They produced entertainment, but it was the form of an expression that expressed their hope. You see, that's what art is. The greatest art is produced when we are pushed to the ends of ourself. Most of the best art in the world comes from the times of suffering. Comes from the time... You see, many artists struggle with depression. 
It's because they are going to a deep place and they're living this reality of their own suffering or maybe the suffering of their people. And out of that comes this art form that, that expresses what's inside of them. So what comes out is real and true. It's not some fake art form. It's real. Howard Thurman uh, is an African-American um, dean of chapel at Howard University in the, the mid-40s and 50s. Um, and then he went on to, be, uh, to Boston University and, and was the head of their chapel, too. He was a philosopher and a writer and a theologian and preacher and, and just a brilliant man. And he gave a lecture on his study of the spirituals, is what he calls them. We, we would here in, in our day would call them Negro spirituals. He gave a lecture at Harvard in 1947 on these spirituals. And he talked about the deep hope and the fact that um, the, the African Americans that were in slavery um, had, a, had a real and enduring hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and in the new heaven and the new earth. That they believed that though they experienced tremendous oppression and, 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 and torture and, and, and just almost hopelessness in this life, it didn't crush them because their real citizenship was in another land. And so here's some words uh, from, or here's some lyrics of a few of these spirituals that, that he lectured on. Here's the first. Oh, he's going to wake up the dead. Going to wake up the dead. God's going to wake up the dead. One of these mornings, bright and fair, God's going to wake up the dead. Now you say, oh, lyrically, well, that's pretty repetitive and that's... You're being woken up at 4.35 in the morning. You're put in a field all day. And you feel like the walking dead. And you sing that. You want to know why it's repetitive? Because they needed to hear it over and over and over again. God is going to wake up the dead. God is going to wake up the dead. And I'm the dead. (laughs) My Lord, what a morning. My Lord, what a morning. When the stars begin to fall, you will hear the trumpet sound to wake the nations underground, standing at my God's right hand when the stars begin to fall. There's hope, there's longing, there's dreaming of a better day. When the Master calls to me, isn't that interesting? When the Master calls to me, I'll be somewhere sleeping in my grave. In that great day when He calls us to Him, I'll be somewhere sleeping in my grave. Dear friends, there was deep hope that one day, someday, the life that they experienced was not the life that would endure but the life that they that would endure would be the life of glory. Now let me ask you this. Is that the hope of our culture today? If we in this room were put in the same circumstances, if we were squeezed to the point where we, we couldn't fake what we believe, would hope come out? Well, let's just take a look at the music of our day. I'll be honest with you. I don't consider myself prudish. Uh, I consider myself culturally in the know. But I have to tell you, I was absolutely shocked this week as I just started reading lyrics of songs. Number five song by Lil Wayne. Yeah. Can I read this, church? <laughs> No. 
I'll read what I can and it's not much. <laughs> Y'all are just you're on the edge of your seat. Is he really going to do this? I'm on that good cushion alcohol. Now, I had to get my interpreter to tell me what cush was. Sorry. I had to call one of my friends. I'll just say he wasn't white. Uh, <laughs> good cush. Apparently, um, is a high-level, uh, high high-class marijuana. There we go. I'm on that good cushion alcohol. Now, before we read the next line, um, we're going to redeem the word bitches. It's a female dog in the Webster's Dictionary, and I'm sure that's what he's referring to. I got some down bitches I can call. I don't know what I would do without y'all. I'm bald till the day I fall. I can't read anymore. I mean, it gets really bad from there. Now, let's compare these with the lyrics of the Negro spirituals of old. You can't compare it. You see, what our culture today is saying is this. I will test my heart with pleasure and see what is good. And do you understand, church, that Solomon's already been there? And the beauty of Solomon is that we can come and we can listen and we can learn and we can say, oh, he's already done that. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. He built more than you will ever build in your entire life. He's had more pleasure under the sun than any of us in this room can ever attain because he was king of Israel during a relatively peaceful time and therefore there was nothing opposing him. And he says, I had all of that and I had nothing. And yet we go back to the slaves and they had nothing under the sun and they had everything. Do you understand that? I mean, what Solomon is saying is, wake up. Quit allowing yourself to be used by the pleasures of the world. In Revelation 17, we have this interesting imagery, and it's God coming down and He's confronting this, the prostitute of Babylon. And the prostitute is, is basically sin and evil. Isn't that interesting? What is the job of a prostitute? It is to provide pleasure to others for cost. And yet, who is being used? <laughs> Who's being used? Who's the one that keeps coming back? The one that's paying the cost for the pleasure. You see, do you understand why pleasure doesn't satisfy? It's because it was not designed to satisfy. The purpose of the physical stuff of this life was never to satisfy us, but to point to a different and a greater satisfaction. That is the purpose of creation. And so we have to ask ourselves in this room, what area of pleasure am I allowing myself to be ruled by? Believing deep down that it is going to satisfy. I know it hasn't in the past, but this next hit, this next, this next purchase, this next whatever. 
See, we have to, before we understand the purpose of creation, the purpose of the physical things of life, we have to come to an agreement that, in fact, the physical stuff of life cannot sustain our hearts. But then secondly, we have to come to the reality of, uh, of, of trusting that the danger of pleasure is not creation, but you. Every Thursday, pretty much, I study at Cafe Eclectic, and I'm giving away my study spot, so uh, don't bother me at Cafe Eclectic on uh, Thursdays, because... Uh, the reason I go there is to get away from everybody and uh, and study. And uh, but seriously, at Cafe Eclectic on on Mud Island, they've got this glass, um, you know, cabinet, and behind the glass are all these sugary delights. They have blueberry donuts. They have strawberry donuts. They have glazed donuts. They have sugar donuts. They have blueberry pie. Um, Pecan pie, my personal favorite, apple pie. They have chocolate chip cookies. They have peanut butter cookies. They have peanut butter cookies with M&Ms embedded in them. They've got brownies with all kinds of just goodness coming over the top of them. And the list can go on and on. And I want you to know that the problem is not the sugary delights, but the problem is me. Not one time has a donut jumped out of that glass cage, come sauntering by the aisle, winking at me, saying, what do you think, big guy? Not one time has one of those donuts texted me, a seductive text. Not one time have I received an email from one of those donuts. Not one time have they jumped out when, you know, the, the, the baristas weren't looking and come running down the aisle and jump and try to, you know, just press against my lips. They do nothing but sit there. And I think about them. And I'm writing. I'm saying, Lord, help me. And you get the point. You see, the world's not the problem. We're the problem. In Genesis chapter 1, God does something incredibly good. I'm so thankful that the Bible doesn't start in Genesis 3. It starts in Genesis 1. At the end of each day, God creates. And he, you know, I can almost hear God say, it's like me when I open my grill and that steak is ready. I'm, mm, it is good. And, and, and it, 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 seems so, it seems trite to kind of relate that to God, but where do you think we get that? Where do you think we get when we look at something physical or we look at a mountain or we enjoy something, we play basketball? Where do you think that we get this whole experience of, oh man, this is good. I could live my life for this. We get it from Him because He looked at the physical stuff of life and He said, it is good. Oh, dear friends, do you understand it's not that God wasn't surprised Wednesday night when we were, when and some of the guys were just throwing down on some good meat. He wasn't surprised when we were high-fiving when the Grizz were winning and, 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 and a great play, you know, just stood out. He wasn't surprised when, when I'm running by the Mississippi River and I look over there and I just think, man, you know, I just love this. It's feeding something deep in my soul. He's not surprised that when you, you put skis on your feet and you go down a mountain that you actually have fun or you go across the water. He's not surprised that when you take a basketball and, and you move around somebody and you jump and you leap and you slam a ball home, that that's freedom. And the guys like me can only dream about that kind of freedom. God is not surprised 
that a hug feels good or a kiss feels good or that sex feels good. He made it so. He said, this is good. But the problem is, I'm not. You see, the problem is, is I will take hunting and I will take fishing and I will take sitting in a coffee shop and I'll take Facebook and I'll take Twitter and I'll take friendship and I'll take ministry and I'll take clothes and I'll take anything and everything you give me and I will make it my God. I will set it up and I will say, I'm going to test you because I know that this is it. It has to be it. This new model, this is it. Okay, that wasn't it, I agree, but this is it. And God says, no, no, no. It is not your God. It can't be. It can't satisfy you. We hear it in the Lord's Supper. You hear me say it, but have you ever really heard me say it? On the night that Jesus was betrayed, and after giving thanks, He took the bread and He broke it. What's that about? Jesus is, is connecting life under the sun with life above the sun. What Jesus is doing, he's not just saying, oh, thank you that you've given me the money to, to, you know, to make this bread. He's saying, thank you that this meal is bigger than this meal. Thank you, as the psalmist said in thir- Psalm 34, verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's what I'm about to do. What did Jesus say to the people when, when they were saying, give us bread, give us bread, give us bread? He said, dear friends, I am the bread of life. And, and that wasn't just some imagery that we were to, to, to kind of take and say, oh yeah, that's just all spiritual. No, he was making the most physical statement on, and the most practical statement on the planet. He was saying, when you enjoy a meal, you need to understand that you are enjoying it because my Father wanted you to taste and know how good we are, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you get that? There's the connection between heaven and earth. Life above the sun, life under the sun. There is not a pleasure on this planet that you are um, to enjoy and not make that connection. Jesus said it again in uh, the Lord's Supper, the account in Luke chapter 22. He said, when the, when the hour came, Jesus and His apostles reclined at the table and He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. You see what Jesus is doing? He's looking forward to a day when they will eat it again anew in the kingdom of God. Every time that we have a meal, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to enjoy it, but we're not supposed to worship it. We're supposed to enjoy it and look beyond it and say, Oh, I can't wait for the day when we will eat with the saints of old and Jesus will be at the head of the table. I can't wait for the day when we're all together and, and there's no more sickness or crying or pain and we're, we're, we're going to eat and we're going to dwell in the, in, in the presence of God forever. And it's going to feel like this. but so much better. And then lastly, the purpose of pleasure is God. I'm a father. I have three daughters. Uh, we've done a lot together. Uh, my youngest daughter's um, 20 now. I almost said 19. She turned 20 a couple weeks ago, April 8th. Um, and so 
Yeah, my oldest is 28, isn't that right? Yeah, 28 and then 26. Ashley's 26. Hard to keep up. Um, we've done a lot. We've eaten a lot of meals together. We've played together. Uh, Rachel and I bought them toys, dolls, as they were growing up. Uh, I used to pack their lunch during high school or, or at least middle school and put a little note in it as they go out the door so when they sat down for lunch, they could open up that whatever peanut butter and jelly sandwich and have a little note, Daddy loves you, have a great day, you know, just or a little, little stupid face, and I'm no artist at all, so no, it made them laugh. We've been on trips together. We've moved all over together. <laughs> we've lived in Mississippi. We've lived in Colorado. Um, we, we've been all over. I've been with Whitney to, um, to, to Europe. Uh, we, we've been all over. We've done a lot of things. But you know the purpose of all of that? It was never just to give them things. It was never just to take them on a vacation or take them on a mission trip. Or It was to experience the world together that they would know their dad. You see, there's nothing worse than an ungrateful child. But when a child appreciates their parent and they're receiving things with gladness and they're knowing that, hey, this is just a blessing, that my, my parents don't have to do this. You know, this is just, this is them. I guarantee you if, if you, if my children had to describe me, there's really no way to do it without talking about the experiences that we've had. Without telling stories of us skiing together and, and doing stupid things together. They know me by experiencing me. Do you understand that that's why God has given us this world? He wants you to know Him. He wants you to experience Him. He doesn't want you to be an ungrateful child. And all of us in this room today, we need to contemplate where am I being ungrateful how am I using what God has given me to replace Him, not to glorify Him? Not to know Him better, but to replace Him. What are the things that I'm seeking to replace Him with? Now do you understand idolatry? It's relational. God wants us as children. He's adopted us. This is family language. He wants relationship with us and the physical things of the world are there. That we might know how good and gracious and glorious He is. This is radically different from any other religion before and any other religion that will come after. You know, one of the biggest complaints about Jesus, you see it in Matthew chapter 11. He came eating and drinking. You know what they called him? A glutton and a drunkard. And you know what he did? He kept eating and drinking. His first miracle was at a wedding feast, or at least recorded in the book of John. His first miracle recorded in the Gospel of John was him taking about 230 gallons of water and changing it into wine. Now, the people had already, they just ran out of wine. That's why his mom came to him. So, there's a whole lot of problems there for the church today with that one. But I like that problem, I must say. I'll take it on. Why? Because Jesus kept eating and drinking. Why? Because that's how He knew His Father. Paul is arguing for the humanity of Jesus in the book of Colossians. And he comes to the church. And, and, and you know, when people 
start saying, well, the physical world is bad, it's the spiritual world. That's where it's at. When that happens, we forget that Jesus became physical. We forget the incarnation. The incarnation, the fact that God became man, tells us that this world is good. We're bad. <laughs> the problem ain't the world God made. The problem is us, okay? And, and so Paul comes to them and he says, Look, church, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. You don't let these people slow you down from enjoying your father. This is his world. Don't cower to the legalist. Don't cower to the moralist. Don't let anybody judge you by what you eat or drink. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. But the reality is found in Christ. Now, here's the point. Don't let anybody hold you back from enjoying your Father in the physical creation, but you better let somebody confront you if they think in your life you have forgotten Jesus in your eating and drinking. Do you hear it? He said, these are a shadow of the things to come. And what? how do you know when we've gone from the point of enjoying our Father to the point of replacing our Father? It's called addiction. It's called materialism. It's called covetousness. It's when we live as if we must have these things and we have to have these things. That's what Jesus was getting at in Matthew chapter 5 when he said, if your right eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. For it's better to go into to heaven with one eye um, than to hell with two. I mean, he was saying, look, if, if you can't, I mean, if you, because of your flesh, have gotten to a point where you can't participate in this or that, then you take the measures you've got to take, brother. But we can't go to the opposite extreme and say, well, we're just going to know God by being, you know, monks in a monastery and we're not, you know, we're going to live a life of... No. We've got to live in that tension and we've got to do it together. And that's what it must look like. Why is that? Because this world matters. You know how the Bible ends? Listen to this. I saw the holy city... The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Now, wait a minute. I thought spirituality was escaping this world. Heaven, at the end of time, you know where it goes? To this earth. When Jesus said, behold, I'm making all things new. He wasn't saying, I'm taking you to some immaterial place that's irrelevant. You're going to get there and you're going to be kind of this goo and there's not going to... No. He, said, he didn't say, I'm making a new weird planet. He said, I'm making a new heaven and a new earth because the two will become one. And I don't know what that means, but I do know this, is that what we experience now in terms of the goodness of the Father and His creation, will just be heightened, not detracted in glory and in that new heaven and new earth. And so everything that we experience in this life that is good, which should make us not say, oh man, i got to have more of that, but it should make us say, no, I will keep using that, I will keep participating in that, but i got to have more of Him. Because that is the hope of glory. And I'm tasting it right now. I'm experiencing it. Whether it's in sports, I mean, church, some of us need to grow up. There's nothing wrong with playing sports. There's something wrong with worshiping sports. There's nothing wrong with hunting. There's something wrong with worshiping hunting. Do you understand the difference between hobby 
and eating and drinking to the glory of God and playing to the glory of God. And only you, this is what I can't stand, is in the churches, we, some of us make all these rules, you know, there are churches, there's got this church culture where we're all judging each other on what we're doing. No! We've got to put that in our own lives and we've got to go out and say, am I eating and drinking to the glory of God? Am I hunting and fishing and running and whatever I'm doing to the glory of God? Am I working to the glory of God? Am I making the connection between life under the sun and life over the sun? Am I utilizing life under the sun to know my God who is above the sun? Now, if you're here and you're not a believer, here's the catch. What Solomon is saying is this. All you have is life under the sun. So you've got two options. Go enjoy it. Get all you can now because this is it. Or admit that there's nothing to it and live a life of utter depression. (laughs) Or you can come to Jesus and you can see that everything in your life that has no meaning outside of Him, can have meaning inside of Him, because now you can eat and drink, you can relate to people, you can, you can exist in this world and make the connection, oh, this is good because my God is good. This life is like a little appetizer that should make us long for glory. Because one day, someday, Jesus is coming back and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And there'll be no more crying, no more pain, no more sin. Is that your hope? Christian, is that your hope? If you're skeptical about Christianity today, think about these things. And I would love to talk further with you. And if you're ready to come to Jesus, He's ready for you. All you must do is believe. Say, there's nothing I can do but say yes to you. Would you do that today? Lord Jesus, we thank you for the new heaven and the new earth. We thank You for a day when there will be no more bombs placed in the midst of a crowd. When fertilizer plants won't blow up unannounced. (laughs) When terrorists won't walk this earth. When death won't strike our family members. When hunger and poverty and injustice and oppression won't be in the land anymore because it will be Your promised land. Lord Jesus, we thank You that that's our hope as Your children. And so would You fill us with that hope today and would we live as a people who have hope? Would the world know this week that we have a greater hope because of the joy that's in our soul and that cannot be robbed by the circumstances of life because we believe, as our ancestors who believe did too, that one day, someday, we won't lie cold in the ground, but our Master will come and we will be raised. Lord Jesus... Would you give us that hope today that we might leave this place and transform this city and world? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.